Hey, big fan of the podcast. Um, just a quick question. Um, I was wondering if Russia has any different regional cultures like we have in the U.S. Uh, for example, like how we have Guidos in, uh, in Jersey and like Cowboys in Texas. I was wondering if that's like a, a thing in Russia. All right. Thanks. We really appreciate that you left the voicemail, good sir. We doff our cap to you. <laughs> doff our cap to you. I kind of interpreted the question as like stereotypes about specific types that are connected to regions. The person I asked to come up with said stereotypes is Nastya, my friend who has been on the podcast now like several times. Yeah, so let me just read what she said. First of all, people from Perm are kind of all Gopniki. Gopniks. Do we know what a Gopnik is? No, we don't. What is a Gopnik, Lily? If you've ever Googled Slav Squat, which if you haven't, please do. We invite you to do that now. We, we highly recommend doing that. Gopnik is like a, a negative term, pejorative term, that can be used to describe a male from sort of any Slavic country. So like former so Soviet republics, Eastern Europe. The stereotypical look of a Gopnik is like that whole Adidas tracksuit thing squatting often convenient it's a very very comfortable position so do not hate on the slob squat and sometimes like i don't know like you know holding a beer or something or like wearing i don't even know what you call that kind of cap that looks sort of it's almost like a um newsboy cap gopniki that, that like style could be from it's not necessarily only perm perm is a a city in like it's east of moscow quite a bit like almost central it's sort of associated generally with, like, that look could be associated with, like, poor neighborhoods or more small towns, poorer towns, or, like, more rural areas. Um, and let me just try to get the etymology real quick. It seems to come from the word GOP is an acronym for this, like, official name for these, like, state poor houses or something from the Soviet Union. And GOPniki would be, like, people from there. It's a classic, classist term, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. It's derogatory. It's, it's pejorative. It's classist. It's like, I'm joking about it, but it, yeah, it's not, definitely not like a good thing or like a okay thing to like call people that. But people joke about it a lot. But actually that like culture is becoming interestingly like kind of mainstream. Not exactly mainstream, but like, like for example, Husky, the rapper that we talked about on our rap episode and you know what I mean right he wears like tracksuits he kind of like uses yeah, yeah, that yeah. style is becoming slightly like hip in a way all right I think we got a good picture what's the what's the second thing so people from Perm are all kind of Gopniks everyone from the oral area like the oral mountains are very simple and extremely masculine in like a Russian style way parentheses simple minds love beer and meat homophobic and nice to their families <laughs> <laughs> then we have sad intelligent drunkies in st petersburg okay okay career driven doers quote unquote in moscow okay these last two are my favorite people from the south are extremely stupid and aggressive people <laughs> ready for this people from siberia are silent and kind <laughs> <laughs> Do these stereotypes come along with, like, ways that people speak, too? Like, do people imitate the way, like, Gopniki people yes, speak? Yes, literally at work the other day. I don't know how this happened, but we were Googling Slav squatting. And <laughs> I was like, I'm really good at it. And so I demonstrated. And then, <laughs> and then one of my coworkers, like, they were like, yeah, now you need to, like, say this phrase. And it was just like, 
I can't even remember what it was, but it was just like a kind of slangy, like a particular slang that is full of curse words. This is the meat of the podcast. <laughs> Wait, have you ever, have you ever caught your, have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? <laughs> yeah. This is She's in Russia. I'm Smith, and I'm in Philly right now. I'm Lily. I'm still in St. Petersburg. Yeah, before we introduce this topic, Lily has a bit of a disclaimer for us. Yeah, before we, we start talking about this topic, I just want to do a little official disclaimer. Anything that comes out of our mouths during the next whatever time on this episode shall not be taken as either A, investment advice, or B, legal advice. We have our opinions and we're sharing them with you and we're trying to sort of like explain and educate. You can't blame us if you lose money, okay? Basically, if you buy some Bitcoin and you lose $600, don't come crying to us. So, Smith, can you introduce the way that we're going to talk about cryptocurrency? I sure can. So, yeah, we're going to break it down into two different sections. The first is just going to be a general introduction. So, like, what are the technologies that allow it to be possible? And then we'll talk about a few specific coins, and then we'll talk about use cases for cryptocurrency. The second part we're going to talk about is specifically cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency technology in Russia. All right. So we're just going to introduce the different components of this like technological space and I'll try to do it in a way that's like as accessible as possible the the kind of question we're trying to answer in general is like what is cryptocurrency so in the simplest terms cryptocurrency is a digital currency whose transfer and creation is validated and facilitated by using cryptography and like that's like kind of a confusing sentence so what exactly does that mean the best way to describe how cryptocurrency works is describe the systems on which cryptocurrency depends the most straightforward way to talk about this is using the example of Bitcoin because it's the most popular and oldest cryptocurrency and everybody like of the coins. If you know about a coin, you probably know about Bitcoin. Yeah. And if you don't know about Bitcoin, you know about another coin, you're a freak. Oh, I want to I meant to tell you this real quick. So remember how we had the conversation where I broke down people into four categories? Yes. OK, so I want to give a bit of an update because you had some feedback and after some deliberation, we've decided to include it. So just a quick update. Oh, that's nice. We heard you and we're trying to do better. All right. So there's basic, alt basic, nerd and freak. Yes, freak got added. Yes. Yeah, Freak definitely got added. You were right. And it's been extremely helpful in categorizing people. For example, Trump is a combination of a basic and a freak, which is a really scary combination. Yes, it is. It's like sort of like one of those mythical creatures that like a chimera or something. All right. So now that we've got that out of the way, back to Bitcoin. So yeah, as I noted, Bitcoin is the original cryptocurrency. It was created in 2009 by Satoshi Nakamoto. Or a group of people. Or she. We don't know. 
be mysterious. It depends on this thing called the blockchain. And you've probably heard this word, the blockchain, thrown around a bit. And I'm going to explain it in a way that's not terribly confusing. So in its essence, the Bitcoin blockchain is a ledger. And the ledger contains all previous transactions in the history of Bitcoin. So since 2009. And it's used to confirm the validity of any given new transaction. Okay, so and now I'm going to give you an example. Suppose that I have 400 Bitcoin because I'm like extremely rich or I was smart and bought Bitcoin a long time ago. And I want to sell 300 to my dear friend and co-host Lily. Okay. Yeah. So one way to go about making that transaction would to say, hey, Lily, give me 1000 US dollars and I'll give you 300 Bitcoin because I want to give her an extremely good deal and I don't care about losing money. What, what's the actual conversion rate right now do you know one bitcoin currently costs six thousand one hundred and twenty nine dollars so you just gave me the deal of a lifetime (laughs) so in this scenario i'm like a complete schmuck dunce patsy and and to note in 2009 when bitcoin was first released it was a dollar per bitcoin so if you bought a hundred bitcoins you would have six hundred thousand dollars right now oh god that's infuriating so, okay, so so I see Lily and she gives me $1,000 cash. And I say, okay, now I have to give you these 300 Bitcoin. But Bitcoin, unlike currency and bank, it's not like I have an account with my name on it and there's like a number and I can just like deduct from that account. Instead, what my account is, is a summation of all the transactions I have made in the history of the Bitcoin blockchain, okay? What I do is I send what's called a transaction met message to the Bitcoin network saying transfer 300 Bitcoin from me to Lily. And for those of you that like kind of still might have like a vague understanding of what network means, it simply just means a bunch of computers that know about each other and they're located all over the world. This means that when I submit this message that says transfer 300 Bitcoin from myself to Lily, this message gets duplicated across the network, um, meaning that each computer gets a copy of this message. So, you know, millions and millions of computers now know, oh, Smith wants to transfer 300 of her Bitcoin to Lily. So this is what people mean when they say the blockchain exists on a distributed network. They just mean that like the computers are distributed all over the world. Just, yeah. So like, it's not like one computer has the final database. The database is in each computer. Right. It's duplicated. Yeah. It's duplicated across every computer. And if you want a counterexample of this, you can imagine something like Bank of America, which is like a traditional financial institution. For the most part, it would have like a collection of servers that are generally all in one area, so a collection of computers all in one area that contain the database. And the scary thing about this is that it's much more susceptible to failure. In the blockchain network, if one computer goes down, it's fine because millions of other computers have a duplicate of what that computer had. Um, But in the case of like Bank of America, let's say their servers get wiped out or they get hacked or something happens, they could lose a lot of data, which is really bad, or it could be something more simple like oh the online banking goes down for a while which is like kind of annoying especially if you need access to your money okay so this concept that gets raised a lot when you hear people talk about blockchain and cryptocurrency is this concept of trustlessness and what this means is that the system doesn't require you to have like peer-to-peer trust in any one person because it handles the validation of a given transaction itself that sounds like a bit jargony or whatever but let me explain what it means for 
validating like my specific transaction request that I've been using as an example. So there's two main things that have to be validated when when a transaction message is submitted to the network. The first is that the request comes from the correct person. So my transaction request is saying, oh, Smith wants to give 300 Bitcoin to Lily. But let's say like some nefarious actor named Alice comes in and says, oh, Smith wants to give 300 Bitcoin to Alice. But I never said I wanted to give 300 Bitcoin to Alice. So that's one thing that needs to be validated. The second thing that needs to be validated is that the person who's sending the funds actually has enough funds to send. So let's say, oh, I want to send 300 Bitcoin to Lily, but I don't even actually have 300 Bitcoin. So that needs to be validated also. The authenticity of a person making the request is validated by a key that is hashed with the transaction message, which just means that it's mixed to create what's called a signature, which uniquely identifies the person making the request as valid. Well, I just want to make it clear that like another part of this is anonymity. And so when you say verify the person, it's not about verifying is this Smith Freeman and what her name is and like and where she's located. She has a unique address on which her Bitcoin are stored, like literally a string of numbers and letters. And I have a unique address as well. And all the network needs to know is that the money came from that specific address that it was sent from. Yeah, so that's that's one of the things that you've probably heard come up in like cryptocurrency discussions is that it can be all anonymous if you choose to. So like you could have an address that you use to sell and buy Bitcoin that's not associated with your name, address, bank account, anything. So it could be totally anonymous if you so choose. So... Now, how do we actually make sure that I have the 300 Bitcoin to transfer? As I said before, it's not like I just have 300 Bitcoin in my account and that you just have to like deduct 300 from it and call it good like you would with a bank. Instead, each computer has a full instance of the ledger, which is this history of transactions that have happened since the inception of Bitcoin. And so when you make a transaction request, what happens is as input, you include all the transactions you've personally made. And each computer that gets a copy of this transaction request, so everything in the network will validate that you indeed made the correct transactions in the past in order to have enough to make this current 300 Bitcoin transaction now. There's one more concept I want to address, which is mining. Going back to this idea of the blockchain, the blockchain is a series of transactions that have happened through time that allow people to validate a given transaction request. But how do you build on the blockchain? This happens through a process called mining. Um, And actually, this concept kind of took me a while to understand, but I think that I'm pretty close to understanding it now, so I'll try to explain it as I see it. So keep in mind that crypto doesn't hold any innate value. It has value because we say it does in the same way that like paper money has value because we say it does. And to maintain its validity as a currency, we use this ledger, the blockchain. The value depends on the existence of the ledger. And so the ledger must be maintained in order to maintain the value and validity of the cryptocurrency. When Nakamoto created blockchain Bitcoin, they ensured that people would be incentivized to maintain this ledger by saying, hey, when you add a transaction to the blockchain, you get a little bit of Bitcoin yourself. And this process is called mining. So when I submit a transaction message to the network, every computer races to solve the transaction first. And what this means is that 
Each computer does an arbitrary computational task that takes approximately 10 minutes, and that time is also arbitrary. And whoever solves this arbitrary computational task first gets a little amount of Bitcoin, and that transaction is then added to the blockchain. I've noticed, I feel like people get confused sometimes when when you're first learning about Bitcoin or the other cryptocurrencies that exist and blockchain, the underlying technology. I think sometimes people think like, oh, if I were to do this transaction that Smith just described, send 300 Bitcoins uh, to someone else, then I would also need to be said computer who mines. And that's just not true like you can access the network very much like make basically by access the network i mean send and receive transactions very much without participating in that race to solve a problem so with bitcoin since it's been around since 2009 people have been mining it for a long time and you want to be the fastest computer obviously because as Smith said, when you solve this problem, you get rewarded by a creation of new Bitcoins. It's like how the government prints money. It's like a new emission of coins happen every time a block, every, every 10 minutes. Whenever, whenever I picture that, I just picture like a little computer chugging along and then like coins like spilling yeah. out. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Exactly. <laughs> but one thing to note is that this race, obviously, it gets more and more competitive. It's like an arms race. So the computer equipment that is needed to be faster at computing the equipment gets more and more sophisticated, thus more and more expensive, and quite literally takes up more and more space. So at this point, mining Bitcoin is like a huge industrial operation that is taking place on a quite large scale around the world, and like countries are competing with each other. So don't, you can't mine, okay? Well, don't deter people from trying. At one point, you could like mine Bitcoin in your bedroom with your computer. That's so cool, but that's, <laughs> that's over. But what you can do is you can cloud mine, which means you can invest money into like a company that does that on a huge scale. You know, they rent out like a warehouse and they have just like a ton of computers mining away. Basically, you just invest money into them and you can take, you know, proportionally earn based on their mining. I feel like we need a big picture. Can I big picture? Okay, you bigger. I, I like the metaphor of Google Docs. And I just want to use it really quickly. On, with Google Docs, it's like you make a change on the document and anyone who's, who owns that document with you sees the change. The blockchain works very similarly, except for Google is a fucking, is like a company, one company that owns all of that data. With blockchain, nobody owns it. That's why libertarians love it. They love it. And people are incentivized to use it because, because nobody owns it, because you're not using a bank to transfer money, because you can earn money from mining because you don't have to trust in a larger either government or corporate entity. But the bigger picture is that the things that are transferred in these transactions, these coins that we're calling Bitcoin, are just pieces of code and not actual coins. What's important to understand, like the bigger picture of this network called blockchain, is that anything that has value can be exchanged on it. It's a, a network that's able to record exchanges of value. Yes? Yes. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about specific other use cases of blockchain technology. Can I yep. you? And when I take a seat, I 
take a seat in all my misery And when I take a drink, I tend to drown my shit in Hennessy I hope that when I die, all these motherfuckers remember me And see that I'm a winner, I deserve this shit eventually I'm loving motherfuckers that be only out to hinder me They think they know me well, but well, they only know the tender me And I don't know you shit if you a friend and you some kin to me My word is all I got, so it holds weight and lots of density The loudest smelling foul and now this shit is a dependency My mama taught me well, but well, she gone, I'm acting differently Like I don't give a shit, shit, even me is getting sick of me And when they look at me, they look at me to be a bigger me I'm holding up my guard to keep my final ounce of dignity And every night I cry, but I don't shed a tear for them to see I brush off my emotions, I can't solve it all like clinically And I don't wanna talk and don't involve me with your sympathy uh, I'm feeling assed out, smoking till I pass so now with this more like generalized understanding of blockchain in mind, we're going to talk about one other particular blockchain technology that is almost comparable to Bitcoin and like popularity and presence in the cryptocurrency space. And then after that, we'll talk a little bit about this concept of ICOs and then we'll move on specifically to, to talking about cryptocurrency and blockchain technology in Russia. Russia. Yeah. Smith gave her example about Bitcoin and, and blockchain underneath Bitcoin. But blockchain, is, again, is a technology, like a network. It's a type of technology. And there's not only one blockchain. There are more than one. There are many blockchains. The Bitcoin blockchain is one. And another blockchain is the Ethereum blockchain that has actually was built in order to expand on the capabilities of Bitcoin. Smith, you did mention that. You said like Bitcoin is for more for sending and receiving transactions. Ethereum has a lot of other uses that we're now going to walk you through. Yeah, just to introduce it in the words of the person who created it, we're going to play a short clip from SF TechCrunch, I think it was 2016, with Vitalik Buterin, who's the creator of Ethereum and the Ethereum blockchain, and he's just trying to introduce simply what Ethereum is. Also, incidentally, he's Russian. He was born in Russia outside of Moscow and moved to Canada when he was six years old. But of course, like now that he's extremely successful and famous, I think Russians are trying to claim him. He's probably more culturally Canadian is what she's saying. Of the four people types, there's only one that consistently transcends borders more than any other. And that's the nerd type. And Vitalik Buterin is squarely in the nerd category he's nerd freak yeah he's nerd freak yeah also he's known like Vitalik Buterin is like one of these figures in blockchain and crypto that is like I mean he's like a hilarious sort of like poster child I, I love how he's a poster child because if you see a picture of him he he just has a he has like a typical nerd look but he also looks kind of alien like and people like call him or like refer to him as an alien or like from another planet or like from yeah, I wonder that. Like, does that bother him or is that something he's encouraged? Because in the one of the TechCrunch videos I watched, he, they introduced him. As yeah, that. I watched that too. I mean, I don't know. He has to take a lot of annoying shit. So he must just be incredibly patient. I mean, he's extremely intelligent. He's only 23 years old. Describe Ethereum to the average person, why it's important. Yeah, so... I mean First of all, there's two kinds of average people. There's the average person who has already heard of Bitcoin, and there's the average person who hasn't, right? So, I mean, for the first category, it's a bit easier because if you understand what Bitcoin is, and you understand that it's a peer-to-peer -peer digital currency, and you understand that if you want to have a digital currency that's decentralized, then the, like, you need some kind of database to store how much money everyone has, right? Like, if I have 
100 you know, digital Bitcoin uh, dollars or digital whatever, you know, cash, and I send 100 to you, and I also send the same 100 to someone else, then those are two transactions, either one of which is legal by itself, but both of which are illegal in combination because they'd be turning 100 units of cash into 200. And this is the classic double spending problem, and in order to solve it, you basically need to have some system that keeps track of, you know, have these coins already been spent? How much money do I actually have at any given time? How much money do I have the right to spend at any given time? And you can very easily do this with a centralized server, but if you want to do this in a way that's decentralized, which is, you know, Bitcoin's original point in the spirit of things like BitTorrent, you know, you, it's actually a very hard computer science pro problem to figure out how to do it. And Satoshi Nakamoto probably came up with the first solution that, you know, really is practical in this kind of open permissionless context, which is, you know, the Nakamoto blockchain. And that was where, you know, the idea of blockchain technology in general came from. Now, where Ethereum comes from is, uh, basically, you take that idea, the idea that you can use what I call crypto economics, so a combination of cryptographic algorithms, things like hashing and, and digital signatures, and the kinds of economic incentives that keep systems like Bitcoin going, and use them to create these kind of decentralized networks with memory, so these kind of decentralized database-like things for a whole bunch of other applications as well. Right, so around 2013, people started realizing really that these blockchains are usable for much more than peer-to-peer -peer digital currency. And the first major thing aside from Bitcoin was probably Namecoin, which was trying to do a peer-to-peer -peer decentralized DNS. But then people started thinking, you know, can you do other kinds of digital assets? Can you do smart contracts? Can you do financial agreements? Can you do uh, registries about identity? Can you do all these other things? And there are so many applications that building a blockchain for each one doesn't really work. And so the core idea behind Ethereum is, you know, you can have a general purpose blockchain. We can have a blockchain where instead of the blockchain working like a Swiss Army knife, where you have, you know, five different tools for five different categories of applications, you have a blockchain that understands a general purpose programming language. So, you know, kind of like your phone, you know, in your phone you have Android or, you know, iOS. And inside of Android or inside of iOS, you can have apps. The apps are written in, you know, whatever programming language they're written in. Anyone can create an app. Anyone can download an app and run it. So that was the kind of general purpose flexibility I was trying to bring to the, uh, bring to the blockchain world. Ah, yeah. Love him. So the things that Vitalik said to take away, general purpose blockchain. Yeah, and he also mentioned sort of what we had already said, which is that, like, this technology is not only for facilitating transfers of digital currency, peer-to-peer -peer digital currency, right? But also other forms of value, digital assets, which she said. Blockchain technology is like, uh, I, I just basically want to say like, it's going to be used for a lot of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the same way that the internet is used for a lot of stuff. We shouldn't have this episode without mentioning the internet parallel. It's important. People often, when they talk about blockchain, people say like, blockchain technology is like the next it's like the internet 20 years ago you need to invest in it now like the way people did in the dot-com bubble and stuff that went well but it did go well and one of the things to keep in mind when you're learning about when you're thinking you know like 
maybe you're interested in understanding how decentralized applications work. That's great. Or maybe you're interested in understanding how like mining and hashing works. The point is that this technology, like it or not, I am of the belief, and I think Smith is also, and most people who understand a little bit about the technology are of the belief that it will become ubiquitous in everyday life in a lot of sectors, changing the way we do finance and the way we do business. Or how we vote. How we vote. And I'm going to give uh, those real world examples in a second. In in the same way that the internet is something that you use all the time now and don't, all the time. You open your phone and you use it, but you don't have to understand how it works to use it. And you also don't have to understand how a car works to drive it, right? That's what blockchain technology, that's like a good metaphor for how blockchain technology will enter your life, most likely the life of an everyday person. There's no need for you to understand how that all works. But it's cool to be able to understand something before it becomes so mainstream that it's like, you know, air, that it's like invisible. It's cool. And I honestly, like, I think that people have an obligation to understand how the internet works and in the same vein should understand how blockchain works. Like, at the very least, you should know high level how things work when you interact with them on a daily basis. Maybe you should, but that kind of obligation by no means is reflected in reality. No, no. Yeah, not at all. But we're just saying like, okay, yeah, blockchain like that can be a scary word, but like there's a lot of good resources that will explain it pretty simply. And then that way when blockchain becomes like the dominant technology in your life, you'll understand how to use it responsibly. Well, there's that, but there's also just for me, it's more, this is still the time, very much still the time to look into cryptocurrencies. This is my investment plug and buy some of it because- you are still going to be, even though you totally missed the boat for the people who made, you know, six hundred thousand dollars off of a hundred, and that sucks. And you, when you think about it, you want to kill yourself. Even, <laughs> even though you missed that boat, you certainly have not missed the overall this is boat. Second boat that's also a pretty yeah this is actually a really good boat so now's the time to still get on the slightly less luxury boat because no no it's more luxury but it's like it's lower risk basically like the first boat was like a little dinghy and they're like i guess and it like paid off really well yeah they found the new world in a dinghy yeah but this boat is like a cruise we kind of already know where we're going but not it's like the first cruise buying some cryptocurrency with money that is, you know, not all of your life savings, it's probably a good idea because, yeah, it's still fairly early on. And the more people who start buying cryptocurrency and having it, the higher the price will go. That's how you make money. I just want to give quick examples of what I mean by that, not in too much detail. Some things that take place now in the real world that could take place with the help of blockchain in a much improved way. One thing is voting. The way we vote is just like, so laughably awful and inefficient and subject to discrepancy and fraud voting with as what we've been calling distributed ledger system that is where data is stored in multiple places and duplicated so that not one person has that data like whoever voting people are it would make it so that you could vote from like your phone or something some device And by voting, it would be kind of like a transaction. You'd be like, you know, like I'm saying that I vote for that person. And that choice that you made, that vote, would be recorded that it happened. 
it would be recorded in a way that's transparent to everyone. So there's no way that anyone could, it's immutable. There's no way that anyone could change it later. Yeah, I mean, it, and not to mention that it makes it extremely easy because like Lily says, you can, can vote from your phone. And fuck standing in lines and having to take the day off of work and all that bullshit. Yeah, and then there's this ledger that exists replicated a million times over with all the same information in it. So it's just like million times over validated. Maybe then Trump could shut his stupid mouth about voter fraud. Right. Shut your trap. And governments are like governments currently are in in the process of developing both voting with blockchain, um, identity with blockchain, as in like being able to, you know, more digital passport and stuff like that. We've talked about now we've mentioned two coins, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and Ether, which is sort of like the thing that powers and motivates the Ethereum network. Everything that isn't Bitcoin is called an altcoin, like alternative. Um, because most of them, in some way or another, at least the serious ones, were invented to like improve on Bitcoin, so they're alternatives. But then, at this point, there's just like thousands of alternative coins, different cryptocurrencies. The, more, the most like famous and well-known, well-known ones are the ones with the highest market capitalization. And you might have heard their names. Some of them are like Dash, Litecoin, Monero, Ether, Bitcoin. Then there are these sort of like ridiculous ones. And, and one of the most ridiculous ones happens to be Putin coin. <laughs> it's unclear who made Putin coin. They do have a website. In fact, they have two websites. And on their website, they say that they're like the purpose of creating this coin was to like support the Russian government. It's just some random people created a cryptocurrency and lots of people create currencies as jokes or whatever. So it's not like an official coin. Putin most likely didn't create it himself. So talking about shitty random coins brings me into the last topic of our general section about cryptocurrency, which is this thing called the initial coin offering. And if that sounds to you like initial public public offering, you are good at pattern matching. (laughs) But actually the metaphor is fairly faulty. But the name was created to sound like that. In short, an initial coin offering, as the name kind of sounds like, is when a cryptocurrency is created and there's like an initial amount and they're sold, these coins. Like someone creates whatever, a bunch of coins, like Putin coin, and sells them. The way initial coin offerings are used are as a fundraising mechanism, as like an alternative to venture capital or like other ways that startups and other companies traditionally fund themselves, whether it's through investors, Kickstarter, or through Kickstarter or through crowdfunding. People buy because they hope that this company will actually develop and do well and that the price of the token will go up in the market. That's the idea. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the state of crypto technology in Russia. Confusion, I'm confusing my own thoughts and aggression. I ain't never been the type to try and try to impress them. I'm the type to chunk deuces if I don't see a progression. They use sex as a weapon. I see my sex as a blessing. And I'm a hundred on the brick in case you asking a question. He either love me or he don't. Shit, I ain't doing no guessing. He asks me where my emotions. I tell him sucking in ocean. I hear the dumbest approaches when the truth is satisfactory. And actually, I'd rather we do this and kind of casually. It have to be. I want to know exactly what you asking me. I was schooled by the G's, the staff and the faculty. So 
you playing me, it won't happen, it's not happening. You searching for the best, but they won't come after me. And live ever after, but you won't live happily. Your files ain't safe, cause you quick scan McAfee. Like giving us a chance won't disguise my apathy. We have things to say and people to do and people to see and people to talk to. And here we are in Russia. A country of oil, a high level of good programmers, cheap energy, and cold weather. I found it kind of difficult, actually, to understand. It's really hard to like define the exact legality right now around cryptocurrency because the Russian government has been like actively making statements and sort of like the official bank, the Moscow exchange has been saying we're planning on regulating cryptocurrency the trade and the use of cryptocurrency in russia but it's like in the works and we're planning on for example making it legal for people to mine cryptocurrency in russia and thus be taxed (laughs) because once it's legal as an asset it should be taxed we're planning on doing this but at this point we're in like talking mode governments have stances on let's say blockchain technology in general, and then cryptocurrency sort of separately. And overall, like the Russian central bank, for example, Russian private companies and the Russian government, Putin himself, like they talk about being like, we need to develop blockchain technology somehow. That's clear. There's like a positive position. Should regular citizens be able to transact in cryptocurrency is very, on the other hand, not clear and mostly negative, unfortunately. Which means basically like statements from the, you know, like Minister of Finance and from Putin himself are like, cryptocurrencies are so risky that it's unsafe for people to be able to own them and and transact in them. And so we're looking into ways of regulating them so that, for example, you would have to be like, in order to buy cryptocurrency, it would be like getting a bond or a loan. In order to exchange on the Moscow Stock Exchange, you would have to be like an accredited investor. And that sucks. It, It does suck. And I think it takes away often from like the spirit of cryptocurrency and the actual implementation of cryptocurrency in other countries. I think this is a good point to introduce the crypto ruble. Yeah, they're also a weird sort of thing, but like there have been kind of rumors going around that the Russian government's going to launch its very own cryptocurrency with names like the crypto ruble. But it's actually like a very controversial subject. Well, right, because it's it's not even, it doesn't have, essentially it would do away with the distributed component of cryptocurrency. Instead, it's essentially making a centralized digital currency, which to me almost seems just like that is already what money is at this point. And like one of the parts of it that has been spoken about, at least in English articles, is that they would require you to verify where you got the cryptocurrency from. And if you're unwilling to verify where you got the cryptocurrency from the crypto ruble if you will then you would have to pay a 13 percent tax so it's like this weird thing where they are acting as if they're doing it to regulate like some sort of shadiness that is inherent to cryptocurrency markets but then they're creating this loophole in which they'll make a lot of money off of it if people are unwilling to share the origin of it but i think i think taking away the distributed component of it it's like what's i just don't understand what the point of it is it just seems like they're saying okay you guys seem to be really into cryptocurrency and we're going to create our own that we can like 
say O is the only legal cryptocurrency to be used in Russia. And in reality, it's just another way for the government to make money off a currency. Yeah, no, 100%. And like, for example, the like CEO, I think of, I think Sparebank, one of the corporate giants of Russia has like spoken out against it. It's also not something that's being debated within the cryptocurrency community of Russia. Like the cryptocurrency community of Russia is located fittingly on Telegram. Telegram is a wonderful application, a messenger app that also has like channels. Usually with channels, you don't, there's an owner who posts things like a stream of news or whatever. In any case, the cryptocurrency community in Telegram, for example, they've mentioned crypto ruble, but it's kind of as a joke. It makes sense that it wouldn't be used, taken seriously as like an actual cryptocurrency, but it does seem that it should be taken seriously as an actual like impediment to actual cryptocurrencies and the potential that the Russian government could use it as a way of saying like look we do have cryptocurrency while simultaneously suppressing the generation and creation of other cryptocurrencies or yeah or at least like what you said making that like the thing that you're allowed to buy and like making it illegal to buy other cryptocurrencies that's problematic it's that Russia is not the only government who is talking about making a, a quote-unquote cryptocurrency that is legal tender that's basically all we're talking about it's like what makes fiat currency People don't know what fiat currency is. Okay, fiat currency is the name, especially in cryptocurrency speak. You say fiat to refer to any currency that is backed by a government. So it's like legal tender in a given country. Like the dollar. And this ruble, crypto ruble idea is basically what you said, is basically being like, we're going to make a cryptocurrency, quote unquote, but it's really just going to be like acting as a fiat currency. It's just going to be digital. And it's it's convenient, but it's certainly not like in at all in the spirit of cryptocurrency. It's convenient and it has the potential to get away from the like domineering effects of the US dollar, which is one of the appeals of cryptocurrency in general. That's really important is to create an alternative economy, basically, to the dollar dominated global economy in which right now Russia is suffering because it's being sanctioned. Can I read the Durov quote now about that? Yeah. So Pavel Durov is the creator of Telegram, the app we just mentioned. He's also the creator of VK.com. Back in August, in late August, the minister of finance in Russia was talking about prohibiting, you know, regular people from buying cryptocurrencies. And Durov said... I don't fully understand the intention of Russian politicians to limit the Bitcoin purchase. For the first time in 70 years, the world financial system has got a chance to become free of the USA hegemony, which in their days managed to impose their own national currency as a reserve one on the whole world. Since then, the USA, in fact, have collected a tribute from all countries and have paid the debts by printing new dollars again and again and buying assets throughout the world. We can try to make the world more balanced by collaborating with Japan and other Asian countries and recognizing the status of, a new, of new digital currencies. But instead of this, our government says, let's ban it and limit it. He's talking about this possibility and saying, when you start to try to like regulate really heavily or ban, then you're limiting the potential of this technology. Another example of like the Russian government trying to sort of get in on this new technology, blockchain technology specifically, is this partnership that's currently happening between the Russian government and Ethereum, the Ethereum network. So back in June uh, at the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum, Vitaly Kuterin, our lovely alien nerd, had a like face-to-face meeting with President Putin. They basically just discussed Ethereum and blockchain and Vitalik explained what it was, and Putin expressed his interest in working with this technology. 
And later, a couple months later in August, the Ethereum Foundation actually announced that they will be working with this Russian bank to create a blockchain research centers and training and stuff to sort of like start to help with like education. They will be working with them, but the foundation itself is going to remain independent. So in no way is the Ethereum Foundation like part of the Russian government. Let me see if there's anything else necessary to say about the government. Like I saw things that were like saying that it's currently not legal to buy cryptocurrency with rubles or in Russia, basically because it was saying like you can't interact with any money that isn't the official legal tender, which is rubles. Yeah, that's something to know. But does that mean you can't like use like in-game virtual currency? Maybe in-game virtual currency isn't defined as tender. How is it different from cryptocurrency then? Well, because they're saying like you can't like they, one of the examples I read when they were talking about how cryptocurrency you can't legally ex- use cryptocurrency to buy things is like there's a restaurant in either St. Petersburg or Moscow, I can't remember, that accepts Bitcoin, but to get around the law, they have like shadow transactions of rubles, but then you actually pay in Bitcoin. Yeah, but that doesn't explain why that's different from virtual currency. Because in-game currency, like you could make the argument that you're just buying the product itself. Yeah. You're not using it as tender. You're buying the product and then you get to meal out how you want to use the product. Oh, right. Okay. One thing I want to also mention about the Russian government is that for the past few years, there's been a group that works for the Russian state Duma, particularly researching cryptocurrency risk assessment. It's led by a person named Elena Sidorenko, who is who's like a criminal law professor. Not every government has its own cryptocurrency group, so that's sort of or blockchain technology groups. So that's an important thing to note, I feel like. Now we're gonna move into like the Russian private sector. Just some big picture trends to note are that like at this point in Russia, whatever big corporations can implement blockchain technology that can afford to research and start implementing are so like yandex for example the giant sort of google equivalent sparebank is like the biggest russian bank the other thing that's important to note is there's a bunch of like startups that support this infrastructure so you know like wallets or exchanges where you can exchange cryptocurrency or and wallets are where you can store cryptocurrency and transact with it. Various other apps that just like sort of make this whole world more user friendly. And a lot of those exist in Russia or are like partly Russian. A lot of them are unofficially in Russia, partly because of the legality around cryptocurrency, this like confusing regulatory uncertainty right now. And for other reasons, like maybe taxes and stuff. And like they'll have, you know, their company registered or at least on the site, it will say like they're in England or in like... Switzerland or whatever. Just to mention, there are some official, there are some startups that are doing super well that are officially registered in Russia and are like, you know, publicly Russian companies. And one of them is Waves. I actually don't know what they do. Can you say what they do in one sentence? Yeah. So they allow you to do a lot of different things. Actually, they're a wallet. So like, as Lily said, they allow you to store your cryptocurrency. They're also an exchange. So they allow you to buy and sell cryptocurrency. And then they also allow you to generate your own coins. So like if Lily and I wanted to make a coin for She's in Russia, the Fancy Bears coin, then we could make it on Waves and sell it to you all. And then we would be rich. Yeah. The other company, private company we want to note that's sort of like semi-private actually coming out of Russia is Russia Mining Center. Basically, the Russian Mining Center is a holding run by this guy named Dmitry Marinichev. He works as a, I didn't know this word, so I need to look it up. Ombudsman? Ombudsman. 
ombudsman, which I honestly hadn't come <laughs> into contact with this word before today. <laughs> he is that. But I'm a little bit confused because the relationship to the government would be that he is, he like works with the government. You know what I mean? The, the point is we don't really know what an ombudsman is. And, and, I can, and the definition is not helping me. You know what I mean? Like, no. I think it is like a sort of unofficial, informal situation. I don't know. Okay, this is funny because on this guy, Dmitry Marinichev's website, first of all, I'd like to note that his website is located at iombudsman.ru. <laughs> Wait, not kidding. <laughs> and on his on the homepage oh of his website, God. it says there's a little like, you know, red thing next to a picture of his face that says like a representative of the commission under the president of the Russian Federation for protecting the rights of entrepreneurs in the sphere of the internet. He's an internet ombudsman, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he always has a lot of money and he is trying to basically we mentioned mining earlier and he's trying to change the situation of mining in Russia which is that right now it's only like 3% of the overall market. He wants to turn that into like 30% technically Russian Mining Center, this holding or whatever he's calling it, is a private company. It's not just about, you know, having giant computers mining Bitcoin. He is creating the technology, a more efficient mining technology. And they also ran their own ICO, initial coin offering, in which their goal was to raise $100 million, but they raised $43 million. Good amount of money. It's a lot of money and it's a record for Russian ICOs for sure, at least official Russian. And so they're like manufacturing these more efficient, it's some part of the computer, some chip that I don't understand, excuse me. The fact that there's a lot of, there are places that are cold actually is a real thing because these things generate a lot of heat and like... In a hotter climate, you have to pay to cool them, which can be extremely expensive. And in Russia, you don't have to do that. Right. Like if it's in a cold climate, if then it's in like a giant factory or whatever, and it's cold outside, so you don't have to worry about cooling it these computers and Russian electricity is extremely cheap so this guy is basically like I'm gonna take advantage of this and start like putting Russia on the map in terms of cryptocurrency mining and that will help Russia compete with the leading like mining is in China right now so yeah so things are looking up for the ombudsman all right, that's the episode. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at She's in Russia. Subscribe to our newsletter at She's in Russia.com. And if you want to be third in the line of our beautiful men calling in and asking us questions, the number is plus one, country code, 347-292-7126. So, and then Lily, you have something else to say, right? Yeah, my last, <laughs> right? My last little uh, announcement is that I understand that this episode was just a whole lot of information, a lot of which was conceptual and potentially extremely new, but we are all about also being useful sometimes. So we're going to, as a little as a little compliment to this episode, we will be publishing an article with resources to help you, for example, buy and store cryptocurrency, the two main things that you might be looking to do after listening to this. Goodbye. Love you. And we will be putting our wallet address and you can send us crypto once you buy it. <laughs>
I still I know I bring this up all the time, but I think my favorite medical experience of yours is when you described your phlegm to the nurse <laughs> at school and she said, ew. 